Continuing through our Kings and Kingdoms series, all right, our Kings and Kingdoms series, and who here has been here for the past, uh, what has it been, the, the past two? Is that, have you guys ever, okay, cool, cool, cool. So a few of you guys have. So it's been a few weeks because last week we didn't have gather, so I want to make sure that we can recap a little bit where we have come from, all right? So remember the first week we talked a little bit about chapter one and about Daniel, and Daniel came, and he was taken to be part of Babylon. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar took him and was like, hey, you're going to be one of my people. You're going to be one of my uh, experts that I go to in times of need, in times of crisis. And they said, you are going to eat the king's food. But instead of eating the king's food, Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ate Vegetables, nice. They ate vegetables instead because they, that's what God was calling them to do. And ultimately it showed Nebuchadnezzar their commitment. And so then the week after that, we talked, to remember, about two chapters of Daniel. Chapter 2 and chapter 7. So those were, we, we kind of jumped between two chapters because they followed similar subjects. And we looked at two dreams, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and we looked at Daniel's dream. And each of those dreams, remember King Nebuchadnezzar's had that big statue, it had the gold head that was like the gold head is representative of Babylon. And we saw the four beasts in Daniel's dream. And remember those beasts, they represent different nations and different kingdoms, right? So we have, if you look at your talk card, we have gotten through a certain portion of the map of Daniel that, that's on the back. And so today's we are going to be revealing a little bit more. We're going to be looking at chapters 3 and chapter 6, all right? Chapter 3 and chapter 6, and these are probably two of the most famous stories in the book of Daniel. But before I do that, I want to tell you a little story about when I was in youth group. So when I was in youth group many moons ago, I actually don't know how long that was, but um, I went, we did something very similar to you guys when it comes to Collide. We did a retreat with my youth group. We called it Frontlines. And instead of a weekend, it was a week long. So it was pretty long. And we actually went up to Beulah Beach when I was in middle school, just like you guys did for Collide a couple years ago. And when we were up at Beulah Beach, like we would do very similar things to what you guys did. So my eighth grade year when we were there, I, uh, I remember we got there and it was Monday morning and we all went to like the chapel, which the chapel that we had was, uh, it was not as nice as that big gym that we had there. It was actually more like a horse barn. So it was really small and it was really, uh, it was really cramped in there. And I remember my youth pastor telling me that just that morning, the government had issued this warning that if you were to read your Bible in public, you were either going to have that Bible taken away from you or you were going to be arrested if you refused to do that. And I was like, okay, I don't really care. I'm in eighth grade, but sure, I, I, guess, I guess if that's what's going to happen. So we went through the day and it was Tuesday morning and one of my leaders that I really looked up to, he was in the cha outside the chapel reading his Bible. It was, he was doing his quiet time before the day started. And all of a sudden these two men in black suits came, and they were talking to him. I couldn't hear it, and they were talking to him, and they, and they went, and they grabbed him by each arm, and they took him, and they put him in a car, and they drove away. And I was like, what the heck is going on? You know, I'm in eighth grade. I'm, like, freaking out. I've watched too many movies. And all of a sudden, they bring him back, and he comes back. He's like, yeah, like, I don't have my Bible anymore. They, it was either they were taking my Bible or I was going to be arrested, so I gave him my Bible. 
And I was like, oh boy, this is real. So uh, I did, I was like, when I re- read my Bible, I made sure to do it in my room and I kind of did it by myself. And uh, it was coming around to the last day. I think it was Thursday because Friday was the day we went home. And we were staying in the same building that, you, that we stayed in for Collide, if you came to Beulah Beach with us uh, when we did Collide. And I remember walking out the doors and sitting on the swinging, uh, on the porch on the, on the swing was my friend Joe. And Joe just became a believer and he was like on fire for Jesus. Like he wanted to know everything, he wanted to grow, he wanted to keep learning. And so he was out there sitting there reading his Bible. And all week there was like this, this black car that was like sitting off to the side with like tinted windows and that's where the guys in the suits were. And so he's sitting out there in front of the, hu- in front of the house and the car pulls up and these two guys get out. And I remember hearing them talk to him. They said, hey pal, like if you're gonna do this, you either have to give me your Bible and you won't get arrested or you have to come with me. And I remember him, he was in ninth grade and he goes, I think I'm probably just gonna come with you. And I remember they took him by each arm and they put him in the back seat and they drove away. And I was like, what is happening right now? Uh, And then that Thursday, that night, they pull back up and they drop Joe off and we found out it was all a joke. So uh, it was more of an illustration, if uh, if, if you would say, that was to kind of show us like, what would you do if you were in a situation where you were told you were not able to worship God the way that you were supposed to? That what if somebody was threatening you, threatening your life, threatening your livelihood because of the way you worship God? And so today, what we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at two more chapters. We're going to be looking at chapters three and chapter six of Daniel. And these are stories about these, these believers, these people of God that were oppressed and told that they were not allowed to worship the way that they were supposed to. So we're going to dig in, we're going to jump right into chapter 3, and similar to if you were here a couple weeks ago, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. It's really long, it's like another one that's like 50 verses or something like that. And so I'm going to kind of go through and sum up some stuff, and I'll read some important verses, important passages and things like that, Um, but I want to make sure that we get all of the important stuff. So... If you remember from a couple weeks ago, we talked about that statue, right? There was that statue that was in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and at the top was the head that was made of gold. And this gold was supposed to represent Babylon, and it was the head of the statue, this first nation. And so when Daniel interpreted this dream, Nebuchadnezzar's like, all right, we are going to go ahead and we're going to make a statue for Babylon. It's going to be gold. It's going to be right in the center of where everybody can meet it. And he said that whenever you hear the trumpets and all these other instruments being played, you're to come to the statue, get on your knees, bow down before it, and worship Babylon and give glory to Babylon and praise Babylon. That's what Nebuchadnezzar was saying. And so they would do that. They would play all these instruments. And when you hear the instruments, you go there to worship Babylon. And so at the time, well, a lot of these like executive leaders that were right under Nebuchadnezzar were pointing fingers at the Jews, so God's people, Israel, and they were saying they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And they specifically pointed out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And remember, these are Daniel's three friends that they're pointing out and they're saying, no, like, hey, they're not doing this, they're not doing this. And so they go and confront them, and sure enough, they weren't doing it. They were worshiping God. They were giving glory to God and not to Babylon. They weren't praising Babylon. They were praising God. And so this fired Nebuchadnezzar up. 
to the point of like where he wanted to kill somebody. And so what we have to understand is that the consequence for not doing what you are supposed to be doing is that you are going to be thrown in a fiery furnace and be burnt alive. And so if you don't do it, you're going to be thrown in this furnace and you are going to be killed. And so Nebuchadnezzar confronted them and was like, hey, like, are you guys not doing this? And they said, yeah, we're not doing this. And Nebuchadnezzar laid it out like, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. And uh, then this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So that's pretty gutsy. Like, imagine saying that. They're they're basically going to him and saying, yeah, you can put us in the fire, but God's going to deliver us. Like, we will be fine. And even if we're not fine, at least we died not worshiping your nation. So that's basically what they're saying. And so they're like, all right. And they grabbed them and they took them by the arms and they walked them to the furnace. And they said that this giant furnace was so hot that the guards that walked them to it burst into flames and were killed. Like, that's how hot it was. You didn't even have to get into the fire because the flames were like shooting out of it. But they did. And they went into the fire and they were thrown in there. And as they looked and as they watched them being burned, King Nebuchadnezzar said something. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. This is a miraculous moment. It's a big moment. So some of you might be familiar with this, some of you might not be. The phrase, son of God, is a reference to the Messiah or to the one that was going to come in the line of David. And ultimately, one day, not when Daniel was around, but one day it would be Jesus. And so when we read this, many times, many scholars would understand this as this is God being with them in the fire. That God is in this, fi- in this moment, in the midst of this burning moment, he is with them, standing with them. He has not left them. He has not abandoned his people, but he is there with them, enduring with them. And so they don't know, like, God hasn't, like, who is this fourth guy in there? And so they go and they call them out, and they basically said, hey, like, what's, what's going on? Like, and they pulled him out, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out. There's no fourth person with them, and they're not burned. They're not scorched. The hairs on their head are fine. There is nothing about them that is burned. It's an amazing thing. It goes on to say this. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. This was, moment was miraculous enough for Nebuchadnezzar to see that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is amazing and is real and is true. And that the fact that these guys are willing to set their lives on the line and say, I will walk into that fire for my God, and then God delivers them, is enough for Nebuchadnezzar to recognize how amazing the true God of Israel is. 
This is a big moment. It's a big moment for them, for them to see who God is. And so that is kind of the, the gist of chapter three. And that, that's just like me kind of putting things together for you guys. It's an amazing chapter. I would read it if you have time on your own. But we have to move on to chapter six now. We're going to look at chapter six. And this is a whole new king. So King Nebuchadnezzar, not in the picture anymore, okay? So we're not talking about him anymore. And it's going to even be not even Babylon anymore. But if, it's a place called Medo-Persia. And if you remember that from a couple weeks on you, weeks, good on you, because uh, that's impressive. I would not have remembered that. But it's Medo-Persia, all right? And so we're looking at a whole different nation, but Daniel is still a part of this nation. And so what is starting to happen in chapter 6 and at this point in time, because 4 and 5, Johnny's going to cover that next week. We'll get to that next week. But in chapter 6, the point, what's happening here is this Medo-Persia is, wants to pass this law. And this law says that, if you are only supposed to worship King Darius for the next 30 days. And if King Darius signs off on this, then that is the law. That is what you are supposed to do. And you, if you have to do this, and if you don't do it, you are going to be thrown into a den of lions, is what it says. So King Darius is do, is, says, all right, well, it looks like I'm going to sign off on this. And so he signs off on it, and it becomes true. And so what you have to understand about Daniel up to this point is Daniel is kind of like a big deal. Like he has become this guy that is known to interpret visions. He has these, he understands these dreams. He's given like this penthouse basically that he gets to stay up and he gets to live in. And everybody knows who Daniel is, especially the king's people. And so they're like, okay, so Daniel goes and he catches wind of this. And so this is what it says when Daniel hears about this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So Daniel hears about this happening, and he's like, all right. And he goes over to his door, busts the, do the doors open, gets on his knees and starts praying in front of everybody. And then you have to understand, he's like in the, the place where everybody can see him. Like he's not doing this in secret. He's praising God and worshiping God in front of everybody three times a day. It's like if your parents like said, hey, no more TikTok. You can't look at TikTok anymore. And then all of a sudden like you're like, well, guess what? I'm going to go on TikTok and I'm going to make three TikToks a day. I'm going to make sure to send them to you, all right? That's basically what's happening. Now, your parents are good people, so honor your parents, all right? But the, basically what, what's happening here is he is saying, I know what the law is, but I'm going to show you that I'm not following it. I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do because I'm going to worship my God. I'm not only going to worship King Darius, but I'm going to worship my God. And so the king catches wind of this from one of his like executive officers and they're like, all right, we got to go figure out what's going on. So they go and they pick up Daniel and let's see. All right, here we go. So then it says, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signets of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. All right, so then it's basically, quite literally, it sealed his fate. So they took Daniel and they took him and threw him in the lion's den and king, the king's like, hey, your God better protect you. He better be worth it or else like you're going to die overnight. 
And they do, and they close it, and they seal it with his signet, which is basically so everybody knows King Darius has put Daniel in here, and he is going to die for the actions of what he's done. And so they do. They put him in there, and they, the ne- they go, go to bed, and then they come back the next day, and they open the tomb. They open this big den, and there's Daniel, untouched. Not a mark on him. Not a, no lion has touched him. And he says that an angel of the Lord came and he shut the mouths of the lions. And he said that, that these lions did not harm him, just like Daniel didn't harm the king in praising his own God. He basically was, he went in there, he lived overnight, and he stayed with those lions and the lions didn't touch him because God protected him. God watched over him. God was there for him. He did not leave him. He did not abandon him. And so King Darius, it goes on to say this, then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in his God. That's an important thing. The reason that no harm was found in him was because he trusted in his God. The chapter wraps up and it says that King Darius then sends for this guy that, that caught, that's caught Daniel and sent him to the lion's den. And he took this executive officer and threw him in the den of lions. And took his wife and threw his wife in there. And took his kids and threw his kids in there and closed it. And it said that the lions devoured them. It's, it's kind of like one of those moments that's like shocking because it's like, whoa, it's kind of violent to be in the Bible, isn't it? But what it goes to show is that God protects his people. He delivers his people. He cares about his people. And he wants to see his people delivered. And those weren't God's people. As gruesome as it might be, they were not God's people. They were not following God. These are two amazing stories, spectacular stories, and these two passages have a lot of similarities. And when stories in the Bible like run, are parallel like this, it signifies that there's something important to take away. There's something that we have to understand, some truth that we have to take away. And so I want to look at this and recognize some of these different parallels that we see and kind of come to the point as to why they are important. So on your notes, you'll see there's similarities between chapters 3 and chapter 6. The first one is that both start with the command to worship earthly royalty. So remember, in chapter 3, it was to worship Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar in that. And in chapter 6, we saw you're supposed to worship King Darius, that, they ha- that the government and this nation is telling them, this is who you have to worship. Next one is that God's people worship God instead. So on this side, it was on chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. On the other side, it was Daniel. Daniel was the one that chose to worship. These are God's people that chose to worship God instead. Next one is that God's people are punished because of their choice. So in chapter 3, we see the fiery furnace, that these, that these guys are thrown in the fiery furnace, and then Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Next one is... God delivers his people out of suffering. That in both instances, God's people are taken out of harm's way or they are delivered out of harm's way without a scratch on them. That we see in both of these instances that God's people are cared for. And the last one, earthly kings are motivated to worship the true God. 
that we see both in Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, that they are both shown it is worth it to worship the true God. It is worth it to worship the God of Israel. And that because they witness these amazing things, they're like, yeah, no, yeah, we're supposed to. So these two stories are pretty famous. Like some of, you prob- some of you probably have heard about the fiery furnace, but I would assume most of you have heard about the lion's den, Daniel and the lion's den. And they're really amazing stories of God delivering his people. But we could just end this here and it could feel just like me telling stories, but I don't want that. I think that there is something that, the, the reason that these are parallel, there's something that we can take away that we can learn about from our modern context in the way, in the place that we are. So, we have, there's going to be three takeaways that, we, that we're going to have from this. Three takeaways from these two parallel stories. The first one is that God never abandons his people. God never abandons his people. Think about who you look up to. It might be an athlete. It might be a celebrity. It might be a musician. It might be a parent. It might be a teacher. It might be a youth leader. It might be maybe just like an older student or it might be just a friend. Think about that person. And I'm going to give you a quick reality check because that person, they may try to follow the Lord. They may, they may try to follow God the best they can. Maybe they don't, but you look up to them. But I'm going to tell you right now that they will fail you. In some way, they're going to fail you. That's the reality of it. That's what happens when we live in a sinful world. Humans will fail you, but God will not. Humans will, admit, will abandon you some way or another. God will not. That is the thing that's amazing about God. Deuteronomy 38 says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or, or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And see, that's God talking to Israel. And then we can also read that same verse in the New Testament. Meaning that that truth that was for Israel is true for us now as well. That God does not leave us. He does not abandon us. When life gets really hard, when, those, when there's those moments that you don't even want to think about because they are so difficult, God will not leave your side. God does not abandon his people. The next one, no one deserves your worship except for God. Remember, in both of these stories, we read about the fact that God's people are rebelling against this kingdom or this earthly king that is telling them that they're supposed to worship something else other than God. And they choose to worship God. And it ultimately is proven towards the end of both these stories to these earthly kings that the God of Israel is the one that is worth following. And it's a matter of what we worship. It's a matter of what we worship. Think about the things that you worship. Think about the things that you worship. There's, there's probably some people in this room that they come to church on Sunday and they come and they sit in service and they listen to Rick or Jared teach and they, they sing and they might raise their hands, but immediately they want to make a beeline to get home to watch the Browns game. Or there might be some of you in here that love to come to gather, love to come to church on Sunday, but we're willing to take a break during baseball season when we have to go play, play baseball for all of a season. I'm not saying it's, you can't miss church. I miss church. But what I'm saying is, where do your priorities lie? Where, what do you worship? 
Who is the most important thing? What is the most important thing in your life? Because I think that if somebody said, if somebody put in front of us, hey, would you, you can either have your phone or you can have church, but you can't have both. You have to pick one right now. And that's what you have for the rest of your life. It would be a really hard decision for a lot of us. Our hearts have to worship the one who is worthy of worship. And that means prioritizing and giving glory to the right things. The last one is that God delivers his people. God delivers his people. The world is just always falling apart, it seems like, right? What we can look at the last two years and the chaos that hit and all of the wild stuff that's happened. You could might be thinking about Ukraine and Russia and what's happening overseas, and it might freak you out. You might be just thinking about American politics and the state of the country, and it might freak you out. But in reality, a lot of you are probably not thinking about those things. You're thinking about relationships. You're thinking about boyfriends, girlfriends. You're thinking about school, grades. Some of you are thinking about college and what the future looks like. Some of you guys have depression. Some of you guys struggle with porn. Some of you guys are looking constantly for other things to put your life into just to feel some sort of worth. And I'm telling you right now that in the midst of those struggles, in the midst of those difficulties, that God is going to deliver you out of it. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying that, like, you have anxiety, but if you trust God, it's going to be fixed. That's not what I'm saying. That's what, we, that's what God has blessed us with counselors for and wise people that can talk about those things. But what I am saying is that when we look to the future, when we're looking for hope, when we're looking for something that is better to come, God delivers us. We will be with him for eternity if we put our faith in him. And it is a future hope that we get to look forward to. And that's largely what the book of Daniel is about. That we could see all this doom and gloom and all this sad things. And in a couple weeks when we wrap up the book and we talk about more visions and more beasts with other horns and stuff like that. And what the end of days will look like. That we are going to, we look at that and it's not that we are in despair. But it's that we have hope and that we have someone that we can look forward to. God deserves our worship. God doesn't abandon us but God delivers us from these difficult times. All right, so like usual, I have some discussion questions. So we're gonna spend the next few, few minutes in discussion. And then after that, I will come up back up and wrap us up for with some worship, all right? So go ahead and uh, jump in your groups and there's some questions for you on the screen.